Hi guys, welcome to yet another edition of the Red Wall Podcast. I'm your host, my name is Marcelo Nestoza, and I'd like to welcome you to episode number 89, entitled The Scottish Trekker. Alright guys, well, in this edition of the podcast, I sit down with yet another Star Trek friend that I met through a mutual friend of ours. I was really taken aback by the conversation that I had with this specific Star Trek fan. I mean, I thought I knew who he was, but this interview really showed me a different side of him and made me appreciate him more as a friend and made me understand him more as an individual. With that being said, I really hope that you enjoy my interview with Star Trek fan and web designer, Dan Leckie. Welcome to the Red Wall Podcast, Dan. It's a pleasure to have you here. Good to be here. Thank you. Since I've been talking with Trek fans all over the world this season, where I like to begin with with them is what was your first contact with science fiction in general and what sort of drew you to it? I guess like uh, my dad uh, was like really into sci-fi and would uh, sort of um, <laughs> subject like myself and my sister to like the likes of Alien and uh, films that, um, and some horror and stuff uh, when we were kids, uh, stuff that our mom was like really shocked that she, he would uh, make us watch. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed watching sci-fi stuff with him. Uh, basically uh, st- still watch uh, sci-fi stuff with him nowadays. When you were a kid growing up, when you went to school or you went to other like social gatherings, were you bullied at all for liking Star Trek the way you, that you do or any other science fiction show? Definitely. So much so that I um, basically had to, I felt like for years I had to like not admit to anyone that I liked Star Trek. I think for me, like over the years, it's sort of been like a coming out <laughs> as a as a Trekkie <laughs> in a way because there was so much like ostracism and so much, so many people here I feel like don't have an interest in the same thing. I remember also really like feeling freedom um, when I'd go to like sci-fi conventions back in the 1990s in, in my hometown of home city of Aberdeen, Scotland. Um, and that was really great experiences. You're uh, the first Star Trek fan that I've interviewed that has uh, autism. But yes, I have... Um, Asperger's syndrome, which is a form of autism. Do you think that uh, your disability makes you um, connect with Star Trek in a way that a person that doesn't have your disability uh, would be able to connect with Star Trek? I would say so, yeah. Like, I've always thought that um, I really connected with Data um, for the way that um, he uses language and like his interpretation of language is really literal, which is one of the facets of um, Asperger's syndrome. 
Is there something in particular that really bugs the crap out of you when it comes to your disability? Is there something that you like consciously try to somewhat, you know, steer away from when you talk to people? Are you comfortable uh, in your own skin? I would say probably, like, I never, I think because of having Asperger's syndrome, I never know how what I say will be taken. Um, and I find it really quite difficult to read body language of other people. Um, I think since people that don't have Asperger's syndrome and are what they call neurotypicals um, are uh, born with more of an uh, intuitive sense of what people um, are meaning and 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 what their what their body language is communicating. Um, I would think, like I keep thinking that probably uh, Asperger's syndrome was really quite uh, frustrating and makes difficult uh, like dating. I can relate to that 100% because although I don't have the disability that you do, I suffer from CP. And the first thing that I think about when I potentially want to date someone is what do I have to offer? What do I have to bring to the relationship? You know, I don't work. Mm -hmm. I can't drive a car and I can't do this and I can't do that. So why in God's green earth would this individual want to date me? There are so many other fish out there in the sea that could mm -hmm. give her the possible relationship that she wants. So why is she choosing me? So I, I completely understand uh, when you say that, you know, dating isn't that simple for you or picking up social cues isn't that mm -hmm. simple for you. Is there one specific quirk that, that you really wish you didn't have? <laughs> In a way, uh, what the aspects of Asperger's syndrome are, because it's, such a part of my like identity so i was trying to remember like what parts of that identity come from asperger's and obsessiveness well i have thought to myself that yeah it contains like an obsessive angle and seems to um bring about like internalized frustration that i haven't really known how like how to deal with um but i found like over the years that and this goes back to like sci-fi and star trek in particular um like how to deal with that um i found i think like a good way to perhaps is just to concentrate on um like getting it out uh, creatively and productively um in the uh, creation of my youtube channel uh, the scotch tracker because like on i think it was october 2019 i think um when it was the first season finale of lord dex and that episode like really, really, really frustrated me and bugged me. And I was like, I need to do something about this. How do I actually like vent? Uh, <laughs> so uh, th then I just started up a YouTube channel and was like, did a review of the episode, <laughs> even though I was really frustrated with it. And uh, and it was just like to get out at that time. And then later uh, I, I deleted the episode, that review, um because i thought well there's no not much point in having there still uh because the frustration was just you know temporary i, I find it better to, to think about other things that don't actually cause that frustration if i'm understanding you correctly everything that you do from a creative standpoint from your youtube channel 
to your website that we're going to talk about here in just a second, all those things sort of keep you in pocket and help and, and help you manage your disability? Mm, I wouldn't say they're all related to it. That case was the creation of the YouTube channel. Since then, it's, be, it's been something that I've become more um, aware of, this internalized frustration, which I think I'm pretty sure for some people, like kids, um, it comes out in the form of meltdowns. Um, so for me, like I'm trying to avoid that happening and sort of thing and, and getting, you know, so so wound up. Yeah, I've realized, like, I think another way that it manifests is in the form of, uh, to an extent, uh, self-sabotage. Where so like I'm all I keep like ordering uh, basically junk food takeaways, even though I know that that's technically like not the best thing for me. I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. I, I sort of in a, to an extent I want to do myself harm, or you know not be as good for my, for myself as I could be by having it by, and by ordering it. I think that's the result of having this internalized frustration. When you were growing up as a kid, did your family treat you any differently because you had a disability? I always found my mom like really supportive of me. Um, I remember like crying to her when I was a kid, and and because I think I would say like uh, my Asperger's syndrome has become less pronounced as I've got older because I found like coping mechanisms and stuff like that, which I believe is quite usual for people that are uh, having for people that are on the autistic spectrum or have Asperger's syndrome. Um, but I remember crying to her when I was a kid and, and saying like, why, why do I feel like this, like an alien, like I can't make any friends. So socially it was really difficult. And I think like after that, basically it was probably when like I just started to uh, just go like underage drinking with people from the school and, and uh, sort of pretending I didn't like Star Trek or whatever so that I fit in more, so I could make friends, so I didn't feel so alienated. I noticed that you actually were a member of Memory Alpha for a while. But basically, yeah, I just like see the, the website online and I thought, oh, this looks like a really, really cool website. I'd really like to uh, contribute to it, basically. And, and knowing that it was wiki, uh, that that was all possible and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, I was actually an admin on Memory Alpha for six years and wrote tons of the articles, basically, or contributed to tons of the articles that are on there, uh, especially like the the episode articles for Star Trek the Animated Series and uh, Star Trek Voyager, uh, adding a lot of the uh, background information uh, sections um, and also there was things like um, in those episode articles, like I was the first person to, to um, organize uh, the summaries of the what actually happens in each episode uh, by like acts and teasers and stuff like that, the way that the episodes are actually designed themselves. Um, and yeah, like on there, like my name was defined and basically like... <laughs> uh, I, I would um, have so many featured articles nominated 
that there used there was a thing that basically arose um, where they referred to like defying class articles, like referencing me because it was such to such a high standard. And Mike Sussman, I don't know who, if you know who he was, but he wrote. Um, he contributed. I can't remember if he wrote fully the episode uh, meld um, on Star Trek Voyager, but also he worked quite extensively on Star Trek Enterprise, and he was a member of um, Memory Alpha as well. And so when they were having like the the discussions about um, articles, uh, which should be or which were being considered to be to become uh, featured articles. Uh, I remember like one particular instance where Mike Sussman um, was writing, writing about one of the articles that I'd written and he clearly had never done it before. He wouldn't have done so. Um, and, uh, but he was like full of enthusiasm about it and stuff like that. And then the, the other admins were saying like, careful who you support with the, what might become featured articles or not because um, yeah they were one um, favoritism as it were Would you say that your experience working at Memory Alpha really sort of laid the foundation for you starting your own Star Trek website in Warp Factor Trek? Uh, definitely in a way because I think I got really into um just like the, the formatting methods and stuff like that uh for what for warp factor track um the job that i signed up for basically way back when was webmaster which is basically like an editor so a lot of it is like like formatting articles and stuff like that that other people s- send in and submit uh so i found like for that it's sort of like knowing uh, when to um, add italics for like movie names or or whatever that I learned all, all through working on Memory Alpha. You signed up to be a webmaster on the websites. You came up with Warp Factor Trek after that. So the story is, <laughs> um, like years ago, uh, there was another website called uh, Track Web dot com um and that was used to be really popular um and then that got shut down i'm pretty sure there was like a guy like two different guys at least that were running it one of them uh years later wanted to start up another website um so he started looking for like a webmaster of the website um which then I volunteered for. And since then, he's gone on to like work on the, the uh, Voyager documentary, you know, that was the highest, uh, made the, the highest money for a crowdfunded project in the world ever and stuff. Um, but basically, that's why I signed up for originally. Um, and then regarding the name, well, for ages, because of the COVID pandemic, we were... Uh, looking for a web designer. And then I discovered like my brother's girlfriend um, actually is a web designer. So that was, <laughs> turned out to be really easy. She was up for uh, working on it. Um, then regarding the name, it was originally to be called Star Trek is Life uh, because I got involved in a Facebook group called Star Trek is Life. 
And then basically uh, they said, oh, we can't have you in this group. Um, I'd been head admin suddenly. <laughs> I was inv invited to, to be head admin in that group, but then suddenly they said, oh, we can't have you in this group because um, we need all our admins to love all Star all series and of, of Star Trek. I have never been that way about Lower Decks. So I was no longer head admin in that group. But so then I started to think oh, it might be best to to not be associated with that group and just to have the, the for the website to have its own name. Uh and then so then I just must have brainstormed and came up with the name Warp Factor Trek. I actually love the name Warp Factor Trek much more than Star Trek is life. I realized afterwards it's an acronym of WTF. Now I won't be able to unsee that. Thanks a lot. <laughs> You were, you know, an admin for this Facebook page for a while called Star Trek is Life, but they only wanted extremely positive Star Trek fans in their space. Do you think that that is a issue with the current fandom of Star Trek? I would say so, yeah. I, I recently spoke with um, uh, Dr. Adam McDonald, who's now working on all the modern Star Trek shows, and she was like, oh, it's fine if you, if there's not one that <laughs> that you're not so keen on or whatever. I think people just need to be like reasonable with each other. When I first met you through a, through, a, through a mutual friend of ours and you said you didn't like Lower Decks, my first reaction was like, <gasps> but then as I got to thinking, I was like, you know what? It's his right not to like a Star Trek show. You know, the fact that he doesn't like Lower Decks will not tarnish my love of the show. Yeah, I think like what matters more is it's whether you have like respect for other people's opinions. Moving back to your website, one of my favorite articles on the website that was written by Lisa Klink, but it was basically an article going over how Star Trek in the 90s uh, had this open uh, submission policy for scripts. She basically broke down the process that she went through when she either accepted or rejected scripts. How did you end up convincing her to be a consistent contributor to the website? Basically, originally in July, so I said to her, I'm wondering if you'd be interested in another opportunity for reminiscing about your track-related past, because I'd done, I'd done by then quite a few um, discussions with her for uh, the Scotch Tacker YouTube uh, show. And she said, sure, just tell me when. And so I said, it's something quite a bit different this time. <laughs> so she said, I'm intrigued. Then <laughs> uh, I said, well, it's currently a secret project, but if it hypothetically involves writing articles for a new website, would you be interested? And she, so she said, hypothetically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then I said, okay, cool. The hypothetical is actual. I found it very, very difficult to... Um, reach out to people and to convince them to come on the show. Have you dealt with that uh, when you're actually trying to, you know, convince people to do articles for the show or to come on your YouTube channel? The two projects are really pr quite diff different. Um, I think, like, the whole idea, basically, to, um, to a degree, behind the, the YouTube show... Has also been about um, 
like even though I have Asperger's syndrome, just like trying to break through the fact that I find like social communication difficult, um, and and just break through that fear, uh, basically, um, and I think that's something that I've tried to do through my life with like anything that I realize is like a result of having Asperger's, um, to try and like overcome it. So I think like each time there's a show on the Scotch Tracker YouTube channel, I get really, really, really nervous because um, it does involve social communication. Uh, but then regarding like what factor track, I've advertised in quite a few Facebook groups and stuff like that, just looking for like anyone who's uh, interested in writing for the site um, because anyone can. Uh, we don't allow uh, fan fiction on the website um, due to possible uh, difficulties or issues that might arise um, to do with copyright. Um, but apart from that, we accept uh, articles about all sorts of things related to Star Trek. Um, and there's a particular email address that anyone who would like to write for the site can uh, write to. The only other guideline that I usually tell people is that each article uh, should be um, 1,000 words or less. So it's fairly quick to read. Uh, and the web's, the email address is warpfactortrack at gmail.com. Yeah, that's a very interesting um, uh, philosophy that you have when um, the, you know, you know, the philosophies that you, that you sort of imposed on the people um that work for you for for your website like you keep saying like this like your website but like that's really not how i think of it how do you think of it then because you're like the brainchild behind it right well not really because the guy like that was from uh the, the track web back in the day i completely you know mis misunderstood he got actually really quite um frustrated and saying oh he sent me something saying like oh my god you don't know how to design websites or something like that but like since then I, I thought well if there's any way at all that like you would like to have an input on the on the website yourself like go right ahead my favorite star trek website is a trek movie just behind that is warp factor trek regarding that like they do so many and they're not alone in that um because there's really quite a few that likewise like check core and uh check sphere and stuff like that but i think for warp factor track i've like deliberately tried n not to feature too many like news stories because then i feel like potentially like we might be like standing on their toes a bit you know because they cover all of that because i was thinking just now yeah like anyone's like open to writing for the site but at the same time like if i cared so much about news stories i could be writing like potentially like lots of news stories myself or whatever deliberately don't do that um mm -hmm. but that said um i have posted quite a few uh well so far basically two like news stories on the twitter page for warp factor track and uh like broke two news stories. I told my sister this recently. Um she she was like she didn't understand the term broke news story broke news stories. Um 
but basically it's like when uh like a lot of people haven't heard that news stories those news stories um and then when I posted about them I've had like thousands of people like responding and the the two that um I posted about were uh, basically, they were actor friends. There were a couple of actor friends. So it was only in the very initial stages of the, this news story uh, becoming known. Um, so they were uh, actor friends of an actress, uh, Camille Saviola, who passed away. So it was to do with her, her passing that I, I posted about. Um, and uh, she she played Kayapaka in Star Trek D Space Nine. Um, that was the first one. And then the second one was um, when I called up Netflix. Uh, this was on tu- on a Tuesday. And, um, and Netflix told me uh, personally that they had no uh, plans to uh, include Star Trek Discovery Season 4 in what they showed, the programmes that they showed in the UK. And, and no one knew basically at that time that that was the case. So I posted that on the Twitter page and got thousands of reactions in response, and, and lots of people saying, "Well, what's what's your source? We don't believe this and everything." And then I, because I was also in contact with uh, writers from TrackMovie.com, basically they told me like there was a, a an announcement uh, due by uh, by Paramount, but I didn't know like when that would be announced or how it would affect the fan community. And then it was announced uh, by the, the, the Paramount um, Twitter page uh, that we wouldn't be as Discovery Season 4 Netflix internationally. And it caused basically a major uproar in the fan community. What I was more surprised by was that... Um, when I also spoke to the Netflix representative, they said they had no plans either um, to remove the previous seasons of Star Trek Discovery from their their platform. Um, that changed by the end of that day. That is a amazing story, and I can't believe uh, you got that. I'm amazed at your the way that you sort of go about talking to individuals because. I love being social. Sometimes it's very, very hard for me to speak to individuals that I think very, very highly of. I would assume by talking to you like right now, if you want to talk to someone or if you want somebody to write for your website or if you have any questions, you seem like the individual that just goes for it. Firstly, thank you for saying that. Um, Secondly, like I've been thinking about that today, like how, because there were people complimenting me about that and about um, breaking through um, like the social anxiety that's uh, part of Asperger's syndrome. But I was thinking also to, to myself, well, people who have like fears of, of things that um, unlike me, because Asperger's syndrome you're born with, um, unlike me, um, like people who have fears that come about later in life, like arachnophobia or different phobias, they overcome um, those phobias by basically doing the same things, which is confronting those fears. Like you were complimenting me, but I I think certainly uh, for yourself, like the way that you communicate with people, I think is great. Well, thank you for that. And uh, my, my friends who like me just the way I am, thank you also.
ones. What's your favorite Star Trek show and why? And are you looking forward to... I mean, this this one feels like a gimme, but I'll ask it anyway. Are you looking forward to uh, Star Trek Strange New World? No, I think it's going to be terrible. <laughs> I'm joking. I think from what we've had so far, I think it looks really good. Um, with all, you know, like the postings about apparently there's going to be like, spoiler alert, uh, like a, an alien rally or whatever, you know, political rally. There was, you know, there was postings about on Twitter. Um and of course, like the different character uh, images that we've had, like a hero is going to be in it and stuff like that. And the ENR, disability in Star Trek, it's blindness. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it looks really good. Um, and then what was your other question? Favorite series? Yes, favorite series and why? I think because it was my first one, probably The Next Generation. I'm so happy you said that because uh, Star Trek The Next Generation is my favorite Star Trek series, followed by Deep Space Nine. So. Oh, right. But like you, like I, I do have the commonality as well. that like, I'm a big fan of the Kelvin Timeline films. Uh, the Kelvin Timeline films are very, very personal to me because of three reasons. Uh, number one, uh, they were directed by... My favorite, my favorite writer and director working today, and they were also co-written by my favorite writing team of all time. So, of which one, uh, you know, of which one of those people is the shepherd of New Star Trek today. So, when it comes to New Star Trek, I'm very, very biased in some ways, but I try to understand that not everybody is going to love all of New Star Trek, like yourself. That is a constant battle that I have within myself. I was thinking, like, to be fair, like, surely you'd probably say that it's had by now, like, multiple writing teams because, like, it was quite different, the writers of, like, Star Trek Beyond than had written, like, the previous two. I really, really liked um, Star Trek Into Darkness, but there were things about it that I didn't like at all. and And I could see where hardcore Star Trek fans were like, oh my God, this is the worst Star Trek movie ever. I mean, there, I, I, I read this story one time about this Star Trek film, this Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, who ranked Star Trek in the darkness, the worst Star Trek movie of all time. And I'm like, how could you do that? How could you rank that movie over Star Trek Nemesis? Whoa. Both of those are like my favorite two Star Trek films of me. <laughs> Give me a chance to save myself, Dan. Give me a chance to save myself. Uh, no, but seriously, after I say this, if you still want to kill me, it's fine. After I had that initial reaction, you know, I didn't go online and I didn't because I wasn't a part of the online Star Trek fan community so much then as I am now. I felt this really, really negative feeling that you know some star trek fans were attacking the thing that i love and saying that it was worth it, it was worth less because they didn't like it so what i'm trying to say is that it took me a very very long time to understand the thing that you understand just because everybody doesn't like the star trek you like it's okay it's going to be all right 
but I was thinking just now, like people are people, and also like, like because that's that's what I've found. Like uh, doing the YouTube channel, like everyone has uh, commonalities, and we can all relate to each other. I think to a degree. Curious, what is it that you love about uh, Star Trek in the Darkness, and what is it that you love about Star Trek Nemesis so much? Just thinking as well, like how um, the whole plot basically of Star Trek Into Darkness was spoiled for me. Um, basically, um, someone posted on Trekweb uh, back in the day um, when it was just about to be released, like the entire plot um, in, in text format. Still to this day, I would count it as my favorite Star Trek film ever made for so many different reasons. And and I've, when it was in the cinema, I, I went to see it so many different times. Um, like I went to the British Film Institute BFI Cinema down in London, um, especially to see it uh, on an IMAX screen um, there, and loved how uh, the opening uh, sequence with a volcano looked in 3D, because, um, you know, they've got all the debris in the atmosphere, so I thought it looked amazing in 3D. Um, and then also, like, how... Uh, they had like the Klingons. I think they, it was really interesting how they did the Klingons, um, where like Yuhura actually knows how to speak to them, unlike in like, well, this country where you think like she's the she's the linguist. They've had years of contact with the Klingons. You'd think like she she would know how to to speak Klingonese, at least to an extent. Uh, and also, I thought it was really cool how they returned the Klingons to, like a Cold War analogy in the same way as they'd been created, actually. Um, I thought it was cool uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch and Noel Clark, actually. I really liked both of those actors. Um, and with Benedict Cumberbatch, it doesn't really, like, annoy me that he looks so different from Kandini and Singh. The, like, the comic, like, Countdown to Darkness, actually, like, deals with, like, the events that happened to him before the film. Um, I think he explains that to a degree. Um, and and people have said, like, recording Mont Montalban wasn't actually Indian, and yet it was playing the character, uh, who was apparently, Canadian Singh's apparently Indian. Um, so, yeah, it didn't really... I, I think I just assumed that he'd, like, had his appearance changed by Admiral Marcus, and that's how, in my head, can way I accounted for the change of appearance. But I thought like his portrayal of the character was excellent. Um, and yeah, like at the end of the film, I thought like the uh, the model at the end of the film, like we we try as Starfleet officers to deal with uh, darkness, but uh, it's important not to let ourselves become like that. It touched a nerve for me, and I thought it was really effective. Um, in the speech that he gives at the end of the film, um, I think probably yeah, I probably prefer um, Into Darkness over Beyond because I I don't hold Beyond that highly actually. Actually, I actually really love Beyond, but there's something about Beyond that really ticks me off. In the early development stages of Star Trek Beyond, Roberta Orsi was supposed to write and direct uh, Star Trek Beyond, but when he turned in the first draft of his script, the studio being Paramount said that it was too Star Trek. And I'm like, you fired a guy for writing a script that was too Star Trek? 
my bias for the writers that I love and just came in there. And I'm like, I, I couldn't understand it. I really couldn't. With that being said, why do you love Star Trek Nemesis so much? I really liked the Kaladins. Uh, I thought it was a cool action sequence on the desert planet. Um, and then I remember like Picard does quite a, a good speech, in my opinion, um, on the floor of the Romulan Senate uh, when he's speaking with his chins on. Uh, I thought it was quite an inventive plot. It was just quite an effective action film, I remember, I thought. Um, and I enjoyed going to see it when um, when I was with my brother. Like Around the same time, we enjoyed both that and like The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. I actually, speaking of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, I actually watched the director's cut last night. Oh, cool. Closing out here, Dan, you've given me uh, so much time today, and I really, really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed um, speaking with you. Thank you. All right, guys. So that'll do it for this edition of the Red Wall Podcast, episode 89, entitled The Scottish Trekker. I've been your host, as usual. My name is Marcelo Inestroza, and just before I go... If you guys like anything I do here on the podcast, I would appreciate a comment, a like, or subscribe. But until next time, as always, I'll see you when I see you.